This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com Facebook and Twitter, uh, sorry, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, Truth Social, Success Alchemist, and Telegram, US UK Patriot. Today is the 17th of September 2022, and the title of today's show is Medical Crisis, FBI Corruption, and Illegal Immigrant Hypocrisy. So, an interesting week, again. Um, I'm going to start with this medical crisis. And this is an article um, by thecountersignal.com. I've not shared anything from them before. This article was published yesterday. And the title is, Hundreds of Doctors Declare Medical Crisis from Vaccine. Hundreds of doctors from across 34 countries have declared a medical crisis due to what they allege is excess disease and deaths related to the COVID vaccine. We, the medical doctors and scientists from all over the world, declare that there is an international medical crisis due to the diseases and deaths correlated to the administration of products known as COVID-19 vaccines. Their statement begins. We are currently witnessing an excess in mortality in in those countries where the majority of the population has received the so-called COVID-19 vaccines. To date, this excess mortality has neither been sufficiently investigated nor studied by national and international health institutions. Declaration of International Medical Crisis. This is a tweet from Jean-Pierre Kay. We consider that we are facing a serious international medical crisis which must be accepted and treated as critical by all states, health institutions and medical personnel worldwide. And it's linked to medicalcrisisdeclaration.com. Declaration of international medical crisis due to the diseases and deaths correlated to the COVID-19 vaccines. And then Ben Swan tweets, over 400 doctors, scientists and professionals from more than 34 countries have declared an international medical crisis due to diseases and death associated with the COVID-19 vaccines. The declaration announced on September 10th originated from doctors in India. Some of the signers are fake, causing critics to disparage the entire statement. However, Panelists at the press conference were medical professionals. And again, a tweet from Samantha. um, Medical crisis declaration, COVID-19 vaccines. September 10th, 2022, top doctors from India met virtually with doctors from 34 countries 
to sign a declaration of international medical crisis. Doctors claim a proper investigation is needed into what they allege is an abnormally high number of miscarriages and perinatal deaths. Birth data from many countries appear lower than average compared to previous years. In July, a Hungarian government official sounded alarm bells over the lowered birth rate. A tweet from California Realtor Christie. Hungary's government officials concern that the birth rate has dropped by 20% since the V rollout. Germany and other European countries experiencing the same outcome. In January this year, something happened that has not happened for decades, said MP Duro Dora, speaking to Parliament. The birth rate fell by 20% compared to the same period last year. And what is even more worrying is that the fertility has also fallen something not seen since 2011. A researcher at the KRTK Institute of Economics points out that this drastic decline came just nine months after the COVID mass vaccinations began in Hungary. The declaration lists 10 measures that should be taken immediately, including a worldwide stop to the national inoculation campaigns with products known as COVID-19 vaccines, as well as an investigation into sudden deaths. Examining the reports on CDC's VAERS, the UK's yellow card system, the Australian Adverse Event Monitoring System, Europe's UDRA Vigilance System and the WHO's Vigi Access Database, to date there have been more than 11 million reports of adverse effects and more than 70,000 deaths correlated to the inoculation of the products known as COVID vaccines. We know that these numbers just about represent between 1 and 10% of all real events. In July, CTV reported on an unprecedented increase in ill-defined and unknown causes of death in Alberta from 2021, the province had 3,362 unknown caused deaths in 2021, compared to 1,464 in 2020 and 522 in 2019. This 2021 figure was higher than the province's total amount of dementia and COVID deaths, respectively. Now, I know most of my listeners are ones though who have resisted the COVID-19 so-called vaccines, simply because, of course, we knew that this was a bioweapon and a death jab. Um, so I'm really happy that um, those people have escaped the consequences. I do know people who have had the vaccine, usually because they were coerced into it because of uh, medical reasons, you know, that they wouldn't get the treatment or surgery they needed uh, without the vaccine and so on. Um, and thankfully, I'm not seeing adverse reactions in those. And we know that there are certain batches that have the bioweapon in them, um, and some are uh, not lethal, uh, which is good. So it's a bit of a lottery as to what you get or what you got. Um, but, you know, they can't brush this under the carpet anymore because we're just seeing not only the fertility rates drop and the number of miscarriages um, increase we're also seeing these young people literally dropping dead and you see these 
article saying it's mysterious as to why this has happened. It's not mysterious at all. There's a direct correlation between these deaths and the vaccine. And um, somebody I follow on Twitter, Peter Sweden, and he has a substack. And he published this article back on the 27th of August. Something weird is happening with the excess death rate. There is a higher mortality rate than normal. What is going on here? You might remember seeing on the news and on the TV screens over the last few years how they kept a daily count of the number of COVID deaths. At times, it seemed like it was the only thing they ever talked about. I remember it. It was everywhere. All the major news outlets and TV channels were keeping track of how many people were reported as dying with COVID each day. And they used this as reasons for pushing lockdowns and restrictions. We had to save grandma. But now something weird is happening and it is nowhere to be found on the news. Many more people are now dying than normal for some strange reason and it goes largely ignored. Where are the trackers on TV keeping track of the daily excess deaths? No. And the weird thing is that this is not only happening in one country, it is happening in many countries all at the same time, just like with the birth rates. In case you missed it, I wrote an investigative article where I found that the birth rate has mysteriously collapsed all over the world at the same time, and nobody seems to know why. And he's got the, um, that previous article embedded in this article. Here is something that really should be talked about more, but I'm struggling to find news outlets that are willing to talk about it. We are talking about the birth rate. The climate change fanatics often talk about overpopulation and that we need to have less children to save the planet. But the fact is that we are facing an underpopulation crisis. And it goes on to talk about the drop in fertility rates. Now we are seeing the same thing with the excess death rate. People are dying more than normal all over the world at the same time and nobody seems to know why. You might say that it is because of COVID that we are seeing all these excess deaths and you would be wrong. People are dying and it is not because of COVID. Something else is causing it. This is shocking. In Britain, there were 10,355 deaths of all causes in England and Wales. And this is just for week 32. This is almost a thousand more than normal. And this is just in one week alone. Compared with the five-year average, this is a shocking increase of 10.1%. In Europe this summer, we saw over 10,000 non-COVID-related excess deaths in just one week. This is horrible. In Norway, there has also been a massive increase in the death rate, with a whopping 18% more people dying in the first quarter of 2022 compared with the same period in 2021. Meanwhile, the birth rate in Norway has set a new record low. That, this is not good. It gets worse. If we take a look at the excess deaths among children aged 0 to 14 across Europe, there has been a horrifying 1101% increase in excess deaths so far this year compared with the same time period in 2021. Why? We have been under many restrictions and lockdowns over the last few years just to avoid this very thing, to avoid deaths. Now people are dying and nobody seems to be asking any questions or even barely talking about it. Now the rest of the article is actually behind a paywall. It's uh, 
one of the substacks that you have to subscribe to. So I'm not going to cover the rest of that because I realise that um, you probably won't be able to access it. And I actually don't subscribe to this particular substack. Now, to add insult to injury, literally, um, the latest Omicron variant um, vaccine has just been recently been approved with no human testing at all. This was actually reported by New York Post on the 28th of August. And I thought it was worth including just because, you know, there is definitely an, a, a depopulation agenda behind all this. Otherwise, these vaccines would have been taken off the market, well, almost immediately. And especially given all the data in the Pfizer uh, trial reports with 35 pages of adverse reactions reported, plus all the reported deaths, which, as the uh, earlier article said, are underreported to the tune of like one between one and 10 percent. And that was from a Harvard study. So um, this is saying latest COVID booster shots will be released before human testing is complete. The Food and Drug Administration is expected to approve new COVID-19 booster shots this week. As I say, it was on the 28th of August, so and it has been approved. Uh, and it goes on before the vaccines are tested on humans, according to a new report by the Wall Street Journal. The new boosters are similar to the COVID vaccines currently available in the US with minor modifications that protect recipients from the latest version of the Omicron variant. Instead of waiting for data from testing in humans, the agency will use data from trials in mice as well as the real-world evidence of the safety of currently available COVID vaccines. You've got to be kidding me. And test results from earlier iterations of boosters targeting older strains to evaluate the newest boosters, FDA Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf said. Real-world evidence from the current mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, which have been administered to millions of individuals, show us that the vaccines are safe, Calif said on Twitter. As we know from prior experience, strain changes can be made without affecting safety. He added that modifying existing vaccines to include protection against different viral strains doesn't require a change in ingredients and is a common practice of the FDA with flu vaccines. FDA has extensive experience with reviewing strain changes in vaccines, as is done with the annual flu vaccine, Calif said. Both Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech have submitted new COVID vaccine boosters to the agency for approval, and the FDA hopes to roll out a booster campaign this fall. However, some health experts are wary of the decision to release the shots without completed human trials. In June, two experts penned an op-ed demanding that the FDA not rush through the rollout of the newest shots. I'm uncomfortable that we would move forward, that we would give millions or tens of millions of doses to people based on mouse data, one of the authors, Paul Offit, told the journal. Offit, an FDA advisor and director of the Vaccine Education Centre at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, believes the comparison between flu shots and COVID-19 shots is not well grounded due to the differences in mutations and protection levels. 
The FDA will not convene another meeting to gather input from advisers on the vaccine approvals as was done in earlier rollouts either. Callis said advisers already overwhelmingly voted to include an Omicron component in COVID-19 boosters at a meeting in June. The agency feels confident in the extensive discussion that was held in June, he said. COVID-19 vaccines now on the market are not as effective against newer strains of the virus, including the newest Omicron subvariant BA.5. Pfizer and Moderna both said current data proves the newest shots are safe and effective, according to the journal. The newer versions are only ever so slightly changed to protect against new variants, according to several experts. Also, testing on the two companies' earlier versions, targeting earlier strains, has proved successful and safe. One such shot has already been approved in the UK. It's hard to believe these statements about the vaccines being effective and safe. I mean, madness. These people ought to face justice for this. Moderna has already begun human trials on the newest subvariant targeting vaccine and Pfizer is expected to begin such tests this month, but results will not be available before the vaccines are brought to the general public. If we waited for clinical trial results, thank you very much, we'd get them in the spring. It takes time to do clinical trials. William Schaffner, professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, told the journal, this is just an updating of the previous vaccine that we used. And... um, You can imagine the comments at the bottom of this article that really saying, how on earth can you say these things are safe? And yet we're still seeing mandates continuing um, in universities and in other organisations, even though these vaccines are still only under emergency use authorisation. So coercion into taking these vaccines is absolutely illegal. And so if you are someone who has taken the vaccine and you've either suffered um, adverse reactions or you know of people that have suffered adverse reactions and have uh, vaccine remorse, and I see so many people like that on Twitter talking about, um, you know, the adverse reactions that they've experienced, which has seriously affected them many unable to work uh, because of a whole variety of things, you know, blood clots and strokes and, you know, the list goes on and on. So I want to share with you an article by The Vigilant Fox. And again, this is on Substack. And this article was written on or published on September the 8th. Lawyer up and bring the fight to them. Time to pile lawsuits on those pushing the shots. Here's some ammunition for you to fight back. In December of 2021, there was a story that went viral about a 13-year-old boy from Los Angeles, California, who was bribed with pizza to get the COVID shot without his mother's consent. Unfortunately, that boy suffered breathing and bleeding issues after injection. According to a release by Unity Project, the child began to experience breathing and bleeding issues, shortness of breath, chronic fatigue, depression and anxiety, among other things, immediately after the injection 
and is currently receiving medical treatment, according to the Epoch Times. He's not the same anymore. He's lacking rest. He doesn't sleep well. He doesn't do exercises the way he did. He's not normal to me, to me said the mother. So she filed a lawsuit against Barack Obama Global Prep Academy and the LAUSD school district in a pretty clear-cut case in violation of parental consent. But what can you or your community do to seek justice for manipulative and coercive vaccine policies? You can sue too, and it doesn't have to be nearly as egregious as the above story. Vaccine mandates are enough to lawyer up. Here's some ammunition for you to fight back. One, if you were not given an entire list of the potential side effects, you did not receive legal informed consent. Two, if you had to receive the shots for work, travel or school, that's not called consent, that's actual coercion. Three, if you were misinformed by the person giving you the shots, that's not consent, that's called fraud. And he actually misses out the, the instances I was talking about where people are forced to take the shots in order to get medical treatment. Um, we've seen uh, transplants being refused to unvaccinated patients, which is horrendous. Dr. Peterson Pierre, so schools and employers who held to these mandates are actually legally responsible for the consequences of set mandates. So I suggest you lawyer up and bring the fight to then. Here, here, stick it where it hurts. But what if you don't have the funds or resources to do so? Thankfully, Dr. Henry Ely is sticking his own neck out and spearheading the charge to file a grand jury investigation against the CDC for willful misconduct and criminal data fraud. Backed by Oregon Senators Kim Thatcher and Dennis Linthicum, the goal is to raise one million signatures to bring forth to a judge to, to demand such a grand jury investigation. And if that goes through, it opens the door for Fauci and friends. You can sign that petition below. And I have signed that petition and it's at uh, beyondthecon.com. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Dr. Peterson Pierre and America's Frontline Doctors for continuing to put out fantastic informative clips on a re regular basis and he links to their rumble channel so that's some ideas in terms of what to do and as he said it doesn't mean you have to have uh, an adverse reaction it's actually just suing because of the mandates themselves so hopefully that will help somebody who's in that position now on to the fbi corruption and this is mainly focused on the Durham investigation. I've got um, quite a bit of information to share on that. I'm going to start with a Brian Cates article on Substack again. FBI's Crossfire Hurricane team hired Danchenko as a confidential human source and kept him on the payroll for three and a half years despite knowing he was lying to them. And this was published on September the 14th. The trial of Hillary Clinton campaign dirty trickster Igor Danchenko is not slated to begin for another four weeks, but special counsel John Durham dropped a thunderbolt in a new filing in the case yesterday. As I suspected for months now, the FBI did indeed hire Steele dossier main source Igor Danchenko as a confidential human source, CHS, as part of its crossfire hurricane 
continuing investigation after Trump assumed occupancy of the Oval Office. And there's a quote from this. In March 2017, the FBI signed the defendant up as a paid confidential human source of the FBI. The FBI terminated its source relationship with the defendant in October 2020. As alleged in further detail below, the defendant lied to FBI agents during several of these interviews. We haven't even got to the trial yet and Durham has already dropped a massive bomb on the FBI. It's important to fully grasp the import of this revelation that Durham just made. Nobody at the FBI was ever fooled. They saw Clinton's dirty trick squad coming from a mile away. The Obama White House knew about Hillary's dirty trick operation by the end of August 2016. The FBI knew by the end of September 2016 when both Director James Comey and Peter Strzok got a heads up from the CIA about it. They knew the dossier was fake, that the Trump-Russia collusion allegations in it were fake. They knew all this stuff was coming to them straight from the Clinton campaign. They used it in a FISA warrant anyway. They committed a massive fraud on the FISA court, and they didn't stop there. The FBI Crossfire Hurricane team then hired the Russian dirty trickster behind the Steele dossier as a CHS for three and a half years, from March of 2017 to October of 2020, as they continued to work to sabotage and undermine the presidency of one Donald J. Trump. Treason. Why hire Danchenko as a CHS? I guess the FBI figured Danchenko had done such a brilliant job inventing allegations of fake Trump-Russia collusion while he was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Crossfire Hurricane team decided to have him come aboard as a CHS so he could work his fabulous magic for them too. All kidding aside, this is a serious thing. After all, notice when they hired Danchenko as a CHS in March of 2017. By that time, the 2016 election was over, and so was the transition period. Trump had been sworn in as the nation's duly elected 45th president on January 20th. They put Danchenko on ice so no one could get to him and expose him, while the Crossfire Hurricane team continued their efforts to take down the Trump presidency. The only new wrinkle was that the FBI team was later joined in its efforts by the Mueller Special Counsel team, which was created in May of 2017. Durham's going to establish in the courtroom during Igor Danchenko's trial some very crucial facts about his background, facts that have been ignored and underreported by the press. Let me take you all back to the dim, dark days of 2018. I had just recently begun writing for the Epoch Times. John Solomon, then of The Hill, broke a big story. He'd gotten a look at some handwritten notes scribbled down by the Department of Justice's number three guy, Bruce Orr. Notes Orr wrote down in a meeting back in 2016 with Fusion GPS's Glenn Simpson. In that meeting, Simpson confided to Orr that the main source for Christopher Steele's fake dossier was, quote, a former Russian intelligence officer who now lives in the US, end quote. Remember, back in August of 2018, when this story broke, nobody had ever heard of Igor Danchenko yet. DOJ Inspector General Horowitz hadn't even released his Pfizer abuse report yet. He did that in December of 2019. 
Rampant speculation abounded over who Steele's main source was who'd fed him all these third-hand accounts of Trump-Russia collusion. So I engaged in a little speculation myself. I wrote a column in which I speculated that perhaps the source for much of the dossier was Rinat Akhmetshin, the Russian lobbyist whose name had already surfaced several times in relation to Fusion GPS. Okay, so it wasn't Rinat Akhmetshin. What a name. Um, Turns out the former Russian intelligence officer now living in the US who put together most of the fake Trump-Russia collusion allegations for Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson at Fusion GPS was Igor Danchenko. You can read John Solomon's report on Orr's handwritten notes and then he includes the link to that. It's really interesting that Fusion GPS's Glenn Simpson was going around Washington DC back in 2016 telling people like Bruce Orr that Danchenko is a former Russian intelligence officer. There were two big revelations that I expected to come out during the Danchenko trial. One, that he is a former Russian intelligence officer now living in the US who supplied most of the fake Trump-Russia allegations that make up the Steele dossier. And two, he knew it was safe to return to the US because he was working with the people trying to dirty up Trump with fake collusion allegations that then morphed into trying to sabotage and hamstring the Trump presidency. They went from allowing him to return to outright hiring him as a CHS and keeping him on their payroll for more than three years as the entire Spygate scandal unfolded from January 2017 with the publication of the Steele dossier by BuzzFeed up until just before the 2020 election when they let Danchenko go that October. Well, surprise! Turns out Durham didn't wait for the trial to actually start before dropping his first bombshell. The whole time, Democrats and the fake news media were relentlessly driving the fake Russiagate scandal, Danchenko was being kept on ice by the FBI. The entire time, Democrats and the media was in a feeding frenzy over Russiagate from January 2017 to 2020 and beyond. The entire time, the Mueller special counsel was active. The entire time, General Flynn and others were being targeted for investigations and prosecutions based on fake allegations or no evidence whatsoever. The FBI Crossfire Hurricane Team and the Mueller Special Counsel had Old Eagle tucked safely away for safekeeping. The whole time people were running around trying to make sense of the dossier, where, it, where its fake allegations came from, who the primary source was, the source was being paid by the FBI to hide and keep his mouth shut. Danchenko's name was finally publicly revealed in July of 2020 when some intrepid Spygate researchers used some recently declassified documents to finally identify him. But then a year went by and Danchenko probably thought he was safe. Nothing much seemed to be happening until he was suddenly indicted by special counsel John Durham in November of 2021. My speculation based on the emerging timeline. Here's what I suspect happened. The FBI was alerted by Durham that he was investigating Danchenko and his background. And they were alerted to this unfortunate and unwanted development around October of 2020, when Durham had just been designated a special counsel. 
One of the first items of business Durham likely engaged in was asking for any and all records the FBI had on Danchenko, which would include the records about him being their own CHS and the interview recordings and transcripts they had. We've already seen one example of what happened when a federal agency tried to get cute with Durham when he publicly punked the DOJ IG's office. So it doesn't appear the FBI tried to get clever with Durham and the agency handed over what was requested. I don't get sense from reading this situation that the FBI was eager to cough up this embarrassing revelation that Donchenko was on their payroll while the Russiagate hoax was in full swing for three and a half years and that they'd taped interviews with him in direct contravention of regular protocol. Interviews in which it's clear he's repeatedly lying to them on multiple issues. It brings up all kinds of interesting questions. Anybody who is assuming the FBI is thrilled that their hiring of Danchenko as a CHS and that they kept him on their payroll for three and a half years has just been publicly revealed by the Durham Special Counsel's Office is making a bad assumption. As far as the current and former FBI Crossfire Hurricane team is concerned, nobody was ever supposed to find any of this out. If you think they're looking forward to Durham exposing all their deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets in court filings and before the trial jury, you are really looking at this backwards. Whatever the case, it seems clear to me that it wasn't the FBI's idea to reveal that Danchenko was their CHS for more than three years. It wasn't the FBI's idea to prosecute Danchenko for the lies he told during the interviews either. If the FBI had had its way, all of this stuff would have stayed buried for good. Nobody would even know who Danchenko is at this point. This is a Durham show from A to Z. If anything, the FBI at this point really, really wishes Durham would just go away. Devin Nunes gets it. Devin Nunes will be able to freely talk once Durham's revealed more of his evidence. Nunes has avoided leaking or accidentally revealing classified or grand jury evidence for going on four years now. I'm sure it hasn't been easy for him, especially when he was in the US Congress surrounded on all sides by inviolate leakers like Adam Schiff. Nunes always said when people found out what really happened with Spygate, it would blow their minds. He's right. Especially after the fake news spent more than five years trying to program everybody about who it supposedly was in the 2016 election that was working with Russian intelligence. They insisted there was good credible evidence that showed Donald Trump and his associates were Putin affiliated working behind the scenes with the Russians to undermine and sabotage American interests. But that was never true. In fact, it was the Hillary Clinton campaign that was paying an actual Russian national, a former, note I always put former in quotes, Russian intelligence officer to create most of the steel dossier ac accusing Trump and his team of being Russian agents. Remember what happened in March 2017? Devin Nunes gave that press conference in which he looked like he'd just seen a ghost. He'd been shown intel reports that had been circulating at the highest levels of the outgoing Obama administration that included transcripts and phone calls and text messages between members of, are you sitting down, members of the Trump transition team discussing the transition. That's right, somebody was surveilling and intercepting the electronic comms 
between members of the Trump transition team, transcribing those conversations and putting them in reports being passed around inside the Obama White House. Somebody tipped Nunes off and showed him those reports with the transition team transcripts in them. That alerted the FBI Crossfire Hurricane team to the fact they had insiders working against them to tip off the good guys and expose what they were doing. One of the first countermeasures the FBI Crossfire Hurricane team seems to have taken once they realised they faced exposure was to hire Danchenko as a CHS and put him on ice for three and a half years. Imagine if someone had exposed Danchenko and gotten to him back in 2017, when the Russiagate narrative was still gaining steam, the Comey memos, the Mueller special counsel being formed, General Flynn being charged, etc. If it had come out then in 2017 or even in 2018 that the Steele dossier was made up fake crap from a Russian intelligence officer, their narrative dies. So it was very important to certain people to keep Danchenko hidden while they extracted as much mileage as they possibly could from the Russiagate hoax, which they accomplished by making him a CHS and paying him. After three and a half years of being assured he was protected and that his role would never be exposed, not only was Danchenko uncovered, he was dragged out into the light and then shocked to find himself hit with five false statement charges by the special counsel who was supposed to never happen. And it's got a photo of Danchenko and a quote under it, how the F is this even possible? How did it all go so wrong so fast? And now the special counsel is going to use Danchenko's trial to blow a lot of minds as he maps out exactly how the FBI caught their own CHS in lie after lie after lie and kept paying him and using his fake shit to go after Donald Trump and his associates all from March 2017 through October of 2020. Ain't life grand. Think on it now. Five years they managed to keep a lid on this, that Hillary had paid an actual former Russian intelligence officer to help her campaign create a fake dossier accusing her political rival of being a Russian agent. And the FBI was so determined to carry on with this charade once Trump was in the Oval Office that they hired this goon as a CHS and hid him for three and a half years of Trump's term in the White House. Durham's about to take the lid off this Pandora's box live in front of the jury with evidence in the courtroom. And I'm going to enjoy watching it, and you can too. So there you have it, a continuation of the exposure of the FBI's corruption. And of course, we did hear that um, it was the same team from the Russiagate scandal that were involved with the raid on Mar-a-Lago. No surprise there. So it still goes on and on and on. All that stuff about um, these nuclear secrets or codes that Trump was going to pass to the Russians. I mean, it's just um, comical, really, how that desperate they are to um, you know stop Trump from running, if, if that's the case, in 2024. And just to quickly cover the latest in the Mar-a-Lago raid saga, um, this is a report from Just the News. DOJ partially appeals Trump raid ruling, seeks to keep investigating disputed classified memos. 
And this is dated, um, well, it's actually shown as updated today, the 17th. DOJ wants FBI to immediately regain access to about 100 classified documents and not submit them to special master. So, as usual, the FBI is panicking. The Biden Justice Department asked a federal appeals court Friday to put on hold part of a judge's order appointing a special master to review documents the FBI seized from Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. The department asked the 11th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals to permit the FBI to immediately regain access to about 100 classified documents and not to submit those through the special master's review. It did not, however, ask the court to reverse the independent arbiter's appointment. Although the government believes the district court fundamentally erred in appointing a special master, and granting injunctive relief, the government seeks to stay only the portions of the order causing the most serious and immediate harm to the government and the public, the 29-page filing said. Earlier this month, Trump won a significant victory when a federal judge ordered a special master to review evidence seized by the FBI during its raid of the former president's Florida estate last month. U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon said she would not accept the DOJ's representations about which documents were privileged and which were classified, saying the dispute needed to be reviewed by the master. The court's order hamstrings the investigation and places the FBI and Department of Justice under a Damoclean threat of contempt should the court later disagree with how investigators disaggregated their previously integrated criminal investigative and national security activities, DOJ's appeal said. Now, it didn't say why they were so desperate to um, appeal this, the FBI, that is. But, you know, the, the suspicion is that They're trying to get hold of all the incriminating information that Trump has on the FBI and its role in Russiagate. So it's all connected. Um, I also just want to add in a tweet that I found this morning, and it's from Melissa Jensen. And in it, there is a screenshot of an article relating to something that Obama signed, an executive order, back in 2009. And her her, uh, comment is, and they have Obama to thank for it too. And let me read it because it's very pertinent to this Mar-a-Lago case. The president's detractors in Congress, the DOJ and the intelligence community are likely to contest the president's arguments. But officials familiar with national security law said courts generally have held the president's power to declassify is far-reaching and that the process for how that happens can be more happenstance, something the Bush and Obama executive orders from 2003 and 2009 made clear. And the president they're referencing here is, of course, Trump. Obama's executive order number 13526 issued in 2009 laid out the stringent process all federal officials and agencies needed to follow for declassification, but explicitly exempted the sitting president and vice president from having to follow these procedures. And from the executive order, it says information originated by the incumbent president or the incumbent vice president 
the incumbent president's White House staff or the incumbent vice president's staff, committees, commissions or boards appointed by the incumbent president or other entities within the executive office of the president that solely advise and assist the incumbent president is exempted from the provisions of paragraph A of this section. So they've got no grounds at all for going after Trump for the documents that he was holding at Mar-a-Lago. And of course, you know, we've got the hypocrisy as usual of the Biden administration in that um, Biden and the Delaware um, archives, I think it is, have refused to release the papers from his uh, vice presidency under Obama. So, you know, it's one rule for them and one rule for everybody else. And we're seeing more of that in the last subject that I want to cover, which is related to illegal immigration. And there's a huge um, storm going on on social media, um, which is relating to uh, DeSantis, Florida governor, of course, um, flying 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, which is the stamping ground of the rich elite and famous and where Obama has his $50 million mansion. And also a Greg Abbott, the Texas governor, um, busing illegal aliens, I think it was on the bus, I don't know, up to uh, outside Kamala Harris's vice president's home in DC. Uh, you've just got to laugh at this. I mean, I love DeSantis, and he, he seems to have fun trolling these um, progressives, liberals, and Democrats. So let's see what happened when these 50 illegal immigrants arrived in Martha's Vineyard. Blaze Media reports on September 16th, yesterday, Martha's Vineyard homeless shelter coordinator says illegal immigrants flown to wealthy Ireland can't stay there. We don't have housing for 50 more people. Martha's Vineyard homeless shelter coordinator Lisa Belcastro told reporters Thursday that the illegal immigrants flown the day before from Florida to the exclusive island off the coast of Massachusetts can't stay there. What did she say? Belcastro was asked about the most difficult challenges related to the new influx of humanity courtesy of Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and she replied that they have to move from here to somewhere else. We cannot, we don't have the services to take care of 50 immigrants, she added, and we certainly don't have housing. We're in a housing crisis as we are on this island, and we don't, we can't house everyone here that lives here and works here. We don't have housing for 50 more people. And there's a tweet from Christina Pushaw, Wow, this Martha's Vineyard Democrat doesn't seem very welcoming or progressive. Quote, we don't have housing for 50 immigrants. Uh, don't the Obamas have a 10-bedroom mansion there? That will fit half of them. Belcastro also emphasised that none of the illegal immigrants are looking for a handout and that they're victims of a political game. And shame on everyone involved. And please print that very, very loudly if you're in the paper, Belcastro told reporters, adding that these people are pawns and we have to stop the chess game right now. 
If you guys can help do it, please do it. I know this is a story, but if you could make it more personal and pretend it's your child, and so I'm asking you to use your power as the press to help them. Toward the end of her remarks, Belcastro also said, don't vote for DeSantis, and yes, I said that. What was the reaction? A number of folks weren't buying Belcastro's declaration that the ultra-wealthy island can't handle 50 more people. The Daily Wire collected some stinging examples. Tucker's riff tonight on the hypocrisy of wealthy MV residents like the Obamas rejecting immigrants in their community is perfect, media personality David Asman wrote on Twitter. Liberal elites are the biggest hypocrites on earth, Niall Gardner, former aide to Margaret Thatcher, wrote on Twitter. They worship open borders until the border arrives at their own doorstep. Wow, the wealthiest, most well-connected people on earth can't take care of 50 people? Joel Berry, managing editor of the Babylon Bee, tweeted, Imagine what the poor and middle-class folks dealing with tens of thousands per day in border towns are dealing with. Political commentator Stephen L. Miller mocked, Despicable xenophobia. This is not who we are. 50 people. These rich snobs are claiming they can't handle 50 people in their town. John Cooper of the Heritage Foundation tweeted, Meanwhile, border towns are dealing with hundreds of people every single day. New York Post reporter John Levine tweeted, How many people attended President Obama's COVID super spreader party on Martha's Vineyard? Maybe they can re-erect the tent, Levine added, or just knock on his door. I'm sure his home has space. So just a sample of the reaction to the the um, Martha's Vineyard position on these illegal aliens. It's the not-in-my-backyard syndrome. So what did they do? Just the news reports. Migrants sent by DeSantis to Martha's Vineyard now being ferried to Cape Cod military base. The base is home to five military commands training for missions at home and overseas. And this was uh, yesterday's report. The roughly 50 migrants who recently arrived by plane to the Massachusetts island of Martha's Vineyard are on Friday being relocated to the mainland to a joint military base. The migrants are being taken to Joint Base Cape Cod about an hour ferry ride from the island after arriving Wednesday by a plane from Florida sent by GOP Governor Ron DeSantis. The base is home to five military commands training for missions at home and overseas. State and local officials have said since the migrants' unexpected arrival that the small vacation island popular among wealthy liberals doesn't have adequate facilities for the new arrivals. Republican Governor Charlie Baker's office on Friday morning announced the plan, which will include efforts from the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency and other officials, according to the Cape Cod Times. The governor also reportedly said he will activate up to 125 members of the Massachusetts National Guard to assist. DeSantis and fellow GOP governors Greg Abbott of Texas and Doug Ducey of Arizona have recently sent migrants to liberal-leaning towns and cities across the country to relieve their taxpayers of the economic burden of providing services to those arriving in record numbers at the US-Mexico border. They've also bussed and flown migrants to cities, including New York and Washington, D.C., 
to try to make the case that the country's immigration problems are national, not regional or local. And so people were commenting on Twitter that um, the people of uh, Martha's Vineyard have actually deported these illegal aliens because they don't want them in their backyard. It's so hilarious, actually, the hypocrisy of this. And, um, you know, borders are important to them, but not to those on the southern border who are having to deal with all these thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants. And then related to... Um, Greg Abbott sending these illegal aliens to um, Kamala Harris's house, uh, her VP residence. Um, she'd just announced in a in a speech or in an interview, I think, um, that the border was secure. So. This is an interesting response to that. This is from the Western Journal. In live interview outside Harris's home, illegal immigrant turns her border claim upside down. Vice President Kamala Harris has outright denied the border crisis. Perhaps she won't be able to keep up the lie now that the problem has come to her front gate. The border czar, apparently in name only, told Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press Sunday that there is a secure border, despite the fact that nearly two million illegal immigrants have poured into the nation in the fiscal year ending September 30th. And a tweet from Daily Wire, Chuck Todd, you're confident this border is secure? Kamala Harris, we have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation. While she so easily ignored those staggering numbers in the, in the abstract, Governor Greg Abbott made sure the problem will stare her in the face, perhaps quite literally. The Texas Republicans sent over 100 immigrants from Eagle Pass, Texas, to the area near Harris's Naval Observatory residence in Washington, D.C., Fox News reported. Many of the migrants are from Mexico, Colombia, Venezuela and Uruguay. According to one man who appeared to be among them, they have come because they know the border is not secure. It's open, not closed, the unnamed man told Fox News national correspondent Griff Jenkins Thursday. Everybody believes that the border is open, he continued when pressed. It's open because we enter, we come in, free, no problem, the man said. Jenkins confirmed that he and the others had come illegally. Yeah, we came illegally, not legal, he said. Um, RNC Research tweeted, Reporter, Harris said that the border is closed. Is, is the border closed? Illegal immigrant. The border is open. Everybody believes that the border is open. It's open because we enter. We come in free. No problem. We came illegally. The migrants arrived in D.C. Thursday morning, which happened to be just hours after two plane loads of illegal immigrants arrived in Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, courtesy of Florida GOP Governor Ron DeSantis. With President Joe Biden in office, the border is wide open to all comers, as it often is during Democratic administrations. However, the difference this time is that Republican leaders will not allow the problem to fall squarely on the shoulders of their own citizens. Governors in states like Texas and Arizona have taken to busing illegal immigrants to so-called sanctuary cities, where they should be welcomed with open arms, based on promises made by leftist politicians there. Instead, the Democrats there are flipping out over these groups of migrants who represent an infinitesimal portion of the overall influx that some might call, wait for it, 
a border security problem. And so Democrats are having a meltdown about what Ron DeSantis did. This is Blaze Media again. Democrats accused DeSantis of trafficking migrants, demand DOJ prosecution, and a U.S. attorney speaks out. Democrats are accusing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis of human trafficking and demanding that the Justice Department take action against him. The accusations came on the same day that dozens of migrants arrived in Martha's Vineyard. GOP governors have been sending migrants to sanctuary localities in recent months because President Biden has failed to address the border crisis in which millions of migrants have overwhelmed the southern U.S. border. What are Democrats saying? California Governor Gavin Newsom wrote the Justice Department demanding that kidnapping charges be considered against DeSantis. Without evidence, Newsom claimed migrants were lured onto the plane that eventually went to Martha's Vineyard, thus accusing DeSantis of operating a fraudulent scheme. The quotes are, several of the individuals who were transported to Martha's Vineyard have alleged that a recruiter induced them to accept the offer of travel based on false representations that they would be transported to Boston and would receive expedited access to work authorization. The interstate travel at issue provides a basis for federal jurisdiction over this matter. Accordingly, I strongly urge the U.S. Department of Justice to open an investigation into possible criminal or civil violations of federal law based on this alleged fraudulent scheme. So we have the one rule for them, one rule for us. Um, And just jump down a bit. Under Biden's leadership, migrants have been transported to cities all across the U.S. because immigration facilities near the border have been overwhelmed by the number of migrants entering the U.S. So should Biden be um, charged with trafficking? Hmm. Now, I just want to quickly include some information that one of my favorite um, reporters, journalists, has revealed as the agenda behind the influx of these illegal aliens. And the journalist is Lara Logan. I've covered things from her before. So I just want to play this very short clip from a War Room interview with her. Over the world, it's just that this is the place that is the the light and the guide for the whole world. And so this is the country that has to fall first in order for the other countries to fall. And what I learned from a source, who is a very unique source, having um, infiltrated uh, the globalist cult at the UN level, is that he was in high-level meetings that required a number of security clearances, where they actually discussed the plan to bring 100 million people into the United States in order to pave the way for a regional government of US, Canada, and Mexico. And that was to bring in 100 million people from Latin American countries, together with a strategy of creating these cartels, making life unbearable, it's called a push-pull strategy, where they push all these people out of these countries where it's unbearable living uh, like this, and they pull them into the United States. And then once you reach that critical number of over 100 million in, in this invasion, they will then propose that, well, for your family and friends back home, who need, you know, you need ease of travel, they need a better life, and so on and so on. We can do all this better with a regional government than we can with a U.S. government. And they will have enough critical mass inside the country in order to affect that policy. That's, that's the globalist plan that we're working towards. But what we're already doing is living under their policy. 
where they've made um, the right to migrate a human right, recognized the UN in 2018, and that now supersedes our sovereign right, thanks to the Biden administration and the open border ideologues who are in this government, who were never asked to be honest about their strategy in the campaign trail, who have bypassed the legislature and are implementing a strategy and a policy that not only did no Americans vote for it, because they weren't even given the opportunity, but most Americans don't support. So there you have it, all part of the, glo- the Great Reset Agenda. Well, that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show, that you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also Derek Condit, who sponsors Cosmic Reality Radio. Please visit his mysticalwares.com website and that will add add your support to everything that Cosmic Reality Radio does. So until next week, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for a huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Wares Online Store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com. <laughs>